to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Um, so no, I'm really, I'm really excited uh, this morning to, to be with you all and um, to talk about the birth of Jesus uh, and this passage I've been studying. Part of why I'm really glad it's t- today has finally come to preach is uh, because I'm, I'm really kind of tired of listening to Snoop Dogg, um, and you're probably like, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> um, but what I mean by that is I have this, uh, this app that I'll throw, if I'll, I'll write a sermon or whatever the document is, and I'll throw it into the app, and it speaks it back to me, and you can change the voice, and, I've, and you can listen to it over and over, kind of get familiar with it. Um, it's like text to voice, and there's like Snoop Dogg, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, uh, Obama, there's like several people, voices you can change it to, and so for some reason I landed on Snoop Dogg this time to, to listen to it, so hopefully um, uh, none of his uh, mannerisms will come out in, in my words. So, um, But yeah, let's, let's get into this. It's gonna be, uh, we're going to be in Luke um, chapter 2, uh, and also some of these graphics, hopefully they'll come through. You might want to look it up on your devices if it's, if it's uh, not good contrast for you. Um, but you can thank Tyler and Sankey for messing with all the, the software and figuring all that out, because we normally just do ProPresenter, and so this is a little, a little bit more to have to switch between the two. Um, so I wanted to start out um, by talking a little bit about this uh, sermon series that we're doing, and just mention for a minute uh, some kind of beauty in the arrangement of the words of this series. And so... Um, and also kind of talk about what Advent is. And so, you know, first of all, most all of you are probably familiar with the word Advent. It really just means the coming of or the entrance. Uh, so Advent is our Christmas celebration over Jesus' birth. And, um, uh, of course, we at Sojourn and pretty much any other church that uh, within evangelicalism typically uh, recognizes this during the Christmas season. Um, and it's just it's a great cultural moment to to kind of sit and focus and, and, and get our minds uh, reset uh, and our hearts reset towards thinking about Christ and uh, what he did by coming into this world, um, the hope that he brings us. Um, and, you know, it's not a requirement that we do observe this during the season. It's just something that we, we like to capitalize on with the culture, cultural movement. But a little bit about the beauty of this uh, arrangement of the words. So the, the four words, as, as Sankey has been bringing up, the first ser- first. Uh, sermon was uh, hope, and um, and kind of uh, I hadn't really thought much about it till I was preparing for the sermon. But um, it, it, the, the way that these uh, words are arranged—hope, and then peace, and then joy, and then love—there's um, there's sort of a beauty in this arrangement. This is a this is a common arrangement that's been used for a while in in uh, church culture. Um, for this time, for this Advent time. And I don't know about you guys, but I seem to get a little more obsessed with beauty um, and, and arranging how things are arranged, organized, and even sometimes like intentionally disorganized. Um, you know, thinking like of how beautiful a storm is and that crazy disorganization. 
Um, or like when you see a bunch of blackbirds and they all swarm and they kind of flow in a certain pattern. There's just this chaotic beauty, but also like an organization to it. Um, and that, that, that's intriguing to me. I think it has a lot to do with like art and why we appreciate art and different you know, music or um, visual arts. Um, but anyways, the, this is sort of like uh, a little bit of the beauty of this Advent series. Um, the first word that Sankey preached on was hope. So think about uh, the text he went to, which was in Isaiah, and um, this, this hope word, really in a nutshell, um, kind of means uh, trust in a future grace or trust in future grace. So you're, you're hoping in something that you know or believe is going to happen. Um, that's, that's true biblical hope is trust in future grace. Um, and then, so thinking about like in Isaiah, where Sankey preached from, uh, it's, it's, you know, the Israelites and, and God telling them about the hope that's to come when Jesus comes. That's something they're looking forward to, um, this future grace that he was going to bring with Christ when he, when he brought Christ in. Um, and also the, the next word then is, is peace. So that's when Jesus actually did come. He brings this peace to the world, you know. Um, and if you think about this too, uh, peace uh, in a way is sort of like a, a satisfaction or a relief or a, you know, we were enemies of God. We were in opposition to the Lord. We were uh, sinfully opposed to him. And now with Jesus' sacrifice, with the entrance of Jesus into our world, there is peace. Um, and so it's, it's really kind of the fulfillment of that hope. And we trusted in it. We were future grace. Jesus came. Now there's peace that he's brought to this world. Um, and then that's, you know, kind of like if you think about the prison of sin that we've all lived in um, before Christ came and spoke peace into our hearts, before he pardoned us and set us free from this, um, this, is, this is kind of what that peace brings. And today uh, we're talking more about joy. So the sermon series, this, this one's called Advent Joy. And so when, you know, when you've received some sort of freedom from bondage or some, some grace from God finally arrives that, that hope has been realized in the form of peace, the next thing that happens is you're, you respond. Like, you feel different, right? And so that's this joy that we feel, um, and that's what we're talking about today. Um, and when did your, feel, your body feel that joy? It was before or after the peace. It's after you've been made right with God, right? Um, so the peace that Jesus brought into the world results in a joyful response, and further from that, if you think about the next word, which is next week, would be love and how if you've truly been pardoned, you have this joy now and true love wants others to experience that same joy, right? So we want to reflect glory back to God and love him, but then also we want our kids to experience the joy we've felt. We want our neighbors, our coworkers, other people to, to then walk in that joy that we have. Um, and that's, that's true love. So Next week will be some, something towards that. Um, so thinking about those words, hope, peace, joy, and love. So there is actually an intentionality with that arrangement. Um, we're going to be today in Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And we're going to read through the birth of Christ and, and through that section. Um, before I do that, I'm going to pray, then we'll read, and we'll get off into more of the sermon. Uh, but if you want to go ahead and turn there. It's Luke chapter 2, 1 through 21. I have it on the screen. Hopefully the contrast works for you guys. Let me pray first. 
God, we come to you, Lord, as a collective body of believers, Lord, as, um, as your chosen vessels. Um, Lord, we, we thank you um, for the hope that you've given us for bringing us satisfaction and peace in you, um, which you provided through the bringing of Jesus and all the millions of ways that works itself out um, through his, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Um, and as we focus this morning on the joy that we want to have, that we ought to have, that we have experienced, we want more of. Um, God, I pray for each one here that you would, your Holy Spirit would pre- uh, pour out a fresh renewal of joy in our hearts. Um, Lord, I know that my words mean nothing without your Holy Spirit. And so, God, I pray that you would speak through me, um, speak to each one of our hearts, and give us joy, true joy. Um, and let that overflow, Lord. I pray this um, as we look at this passage. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So if you'll turn to Luke <clears throat> 2, 1 through 21. I'll read through the whole section. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, And laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And this is kind of one verse to kind of camp out on. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard, as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That's our passage today. Um, so I wanted to jump into a little bit about joy. Um, and so thinking about this 
passage, you know, of course, highlighting that verse I mentioned earlier um, was the, the joy that the shepherds had, um, which was in, uh, let's see, verse 10. Um, just the, the whole joy, of, joy, you know, joy-filled occasion here. Um, I, I want to be a little bit, uh, try not to be trivial about the word joy and how we define it. Um, because, you know, it is kind of a simple word. We kind of all know what it means. But at the same time, sometimes when you sit down, you start thinking about a simple word like that. It does kind of seem to get a little more complex um, and have a little more meaning to it than you first thought of with the word. Um, so many, many people say that joy is good, right? And that happiness um, doesn't really matter. Uh, I even read an article recently that kind of said that happiness, God doesn't really care if you're happy. He wants you to have true joy. Um, they position the two words always against each other. Uh, like happiness is always just a fleeting pleasure with no long-term value. And that joy is this kind of contented fountain that continues to flow even through a drought, right? It's just always there. Um, maybe you could say happiness is kind of like the stock market and joy would be a little more like a retirement account. It's just more solid. Um, happiness is unpredictable and it's tied to the wind. But joy is an immovable anchor, right? There's fleeting joys or, or happiness or whatever you want to call it. And then there's lasting joys or solid joys. Um, one of my favorite sources online is uh, gotquestions.org. Some of you may have gone there for, for things a lot of times. It's a really great resource. Um, they're usually super helpful and to the point. Um, the guy's take on there is that he, he, he says the, the Bible doesn't really distinguish a whole lot. A lot of times the word joy, happiness, um, enjoyment, all these are pretty interchangeable. Um, and it's not quite as much of a point in the scripture. And I agree with this, but I think it, it, I think it is fine uh, to have either view as long as kind of we're on the same mission to strive for the deep joys and to realize those fleeting pleasures come and go and to not put our hope and our stock in the things that are temporary, right? Um, but you can't just say that God doesn't care about us being happy. I mean, this, this is given to him, this is given to us from him, or that God doesn't care that when we're in a good mood or enjoying good food or loving your job or having a winning streak or going to Hawaii. I mean, God cares about these things. Um, he made them so that we could be happy um, from them and then turn and praise him for those things, right? Um, one of my favorite songs is from a band called Sleeping at Last. And um, beautiful and just incredible music. I'd encourage you to, to look into him. I'm not, I think the guy's a believer. A lot of his lyrics kind of tend to, to scream that. But one of the things he says in my favorite song, one of my favorite songs by him is called, called Saturn. The song is called Saturn. Um, but he says, I'd give anything to hear you say it one more time that the universe was made to be seen by my eyes. And so, like, when I first heard that song, I mean, I was like, that is so good. Because in the context of the whole song, it's just beautiful. Like, he's just, this guy is telling him, like, God made this so you could enjoy this beautiful universe. Um, and it's made just for your enjoyment. And, like, for everybody here, it, God made this. You know, the, each sunset you see is, is literally, like, you're the only one seeing it from that vantage point. And God made this for you. And, yes, of course, he made all of this for his glory, right? He doesn't only care about you being happy. It's, but how much more glory does he get? Like, yes, all the stars and all the galaxies, all the things he's created, the small flowers the, um, and, and on the Chinese mountain that no one ever will see. 
Um, beautiful, right? And God gets glory from those things, even though man will never see them. But how much glory does he get from us looking at them and being in awe and then turning and, and praising his name? Like, I think that's really um, kind of the heart of this, this song. Um, and so thinking, thinking through that, um, it, God takes glory when we're amazed at his creation. He cares about our happiness and our joy, however you want to dice the words up. But we just have to be able to understand these things, our joy, happiness, you know, and all of the spectrum of the smallest momentary joy to the, the grandest like long-term joy uh, within, within the context of loving God and the, and the, the Bible and the whole history and kind of having a, a room in our theology to process all of these things. Um, we've got to be able to have room in our theology to process whether you're like Solomon and luxury and how you live in that situation or Paul in prison. We need to understand that joy which comes when you read the Bible and it all seems incredible and it's exciting and your, your, your eyes are being opened to all these things and it's just a flood. Like in your reading, and you're in tears, you want to pray and you want to tell people about it. And then other times when you go through month after month and you're, you're not understanding much, it doesn't seem very interesting to you. It seems dull. Um, maybe you feel like God's not speaking to you. Um, maybe you feel like nothing from the passage you're reading. It's just bland. And you pray and, and you feel like, God, where are you? So knowing how to have joys and process those in those moments, because they're going to come. Um, the Bible Project's definition of joy is that it's, it's more than a, a happy feeling. It's, um, it's a lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill his promises. John Piper says it, and usually his definitions take a few minutes to process, and usually like 10 different hyphenated words in it. <laughs> um, but he says it's a good feeling in the soul. Joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world, in the word, and in the world, right? So good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. So it's an emotion or a feeling born out of the knowledge we have about the gifts and promises of God. So it is based on knowledge, right? Joy comes from some level of knowledge. Like a lot of our feelings and emotions are all of them are formed by something we know or see or have experienced. Um, for instance, you see a fiddleback behind your, your bed frame, and especially if you don't get to it and then it's, it's bedtime, like that's an uneasy feeling for a while. And when you do see it, you're like, I got to kill that thing as soon as I can. If it gets away, you're like, I got to sleep somewhere else. <laughs> um, but that knowledge and that experience now changes the way you act and the way you feel. Um, what's the feeling or experience you get when you lose a football game? It hits you, and you didn't have to cook that feeling up. You just felt it. You just realized that um, because of what has happened around you, what you've experienced. So joy about God and what he's done for you, it's based on what you know, right? It's based on what you've experienced. And then it makes you feel. It gives you a feeling. And so... How are you feeling about all of that? How are you feeling about your experience with God? 
You can't manufacture that, can you? You can't create it. But did you know that God commands joy and for us to rejoice and to have joy more, than, more times than any other commandment in the Bible? Um, why? Why would he command that? Also, he says you must be born again, right? And we can't make ourselves do that. We can't create our own rebirth. But he says we must do that. Why? Listen, God has no problem giving you a command that you lack the ability to do. And maybe you think, well, that's not fair. Why would he command something I can't do? I can have joy. I can't, I, I just, I can't have joy right now. I can't make myself be born. Like, so why would God command that? And this is exactly where God wants you to be, right? He wants you exactly to understand that inability that you can't and confess that, to be able to say, God, I can't do this. It's going to take you. It has to come from you. It can't come from me. It's that in that inability, that helplessness, that need that he wants you to ask him for help, to help you feel what you know you want to feel, ask him to help you enjoy what you want to enjoy, to feel that, that you, but you just feel unable to do this. To relentlessly pursue that enjoyment of him. To keep pursuing and asking. Oh, and let me say this. Um, God promises joy for everyone who seeks it. It's a promise. It's from God. And you can bank on it, right? Um, Psalm 30, verse 5, which should pop up there. But it says... Um, and it's interesting that he couples weeping and joy here together. Weeping may tarry for the night, last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Isaiah 35.10, And the ransomed of the Lord will return and, jo- and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their, their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. There's lots of other places you can flip to 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 kind of search out um, these promises of joy that God has for us. Um, So I think we should be okay about being happy or having a blast of enjoyment in our life and not feeling that we have to always make some qualifying statement every time we're excited for some fleeting pleasure, right? Like maybe you experience something, but you feel like, man, like, yeah, but I know it's temporary, like, I know I can't put my, my hope in You're right, but I feel like maybe a lot of times this is Satan stealing that moment from you instead of really truly enjoying that moment, whatever it is. A lot of times we're so bent on um, being afraid of enjoyment truly that, that we can often um, have to feel like we have to qualify it with like a knowledge that, well, I know things are going to get worse. No, like enjoy that. Embrace that moment. Um, and this is, I think, how Satan often steals our joy. If he can get you to fear that the good thing that you're experiencing is going to rule over it, over you, so you never end up enjoying it. But we, we just weren't created, we weren't made to be fearful about those types of things. We're given a spirit of power, not of fear, fear and timidity. Um, so this might be actually just some sort of kind of weird working out of asceticism or Gnosticism in your own life. If those are unfamiliar words to you, asceticism is like self-affliction. Like I need to feel like I'm punishing myself 
to feel right with God, I mean, this is what we do. Like usually in almost every situation, we're responding with, I'm pridefully, I'm thinking better of myself than I truly am, or I think terribly of myself, so I feel like I need to punish myself. And Jesus came to destroy both of those things. So a lot of times I feel like instead of truly enjoying the pleasure or the joy that God has put before us, we we sort of end up um, self-punishing or thinking that this is a worldly enjoyment. Um, And maybe you feel like you can't be okay with some good things because other people don't have that the others don't have the things that you have, and so therefore you never really experience just an enjoyment in those things. Um, just feel a kind of a constant guilt. And maybe some of those things you might need to you know, check into further, but um, having that feeling is not biblical. Um, there's a lot more in the Scriptures that th- say things like, enjoy the wife of your youth, Proverbs. Drink and enjoy strong drink and eat the fattened calf, Deuteronomy and the prodigal son. Just remember this, um, keeping in all of this in mind, we're thinking about enjoying all of the graces God's given you, that, and this is from Paul Tripp, and worth writing down, it should come up there, um, a good thing can become an evil thing when it becomes a ruling thing. So when we start to eclipse the enjoyment, and we start to love that thing, then we, more than we love the giver of that thing, that's where the, the problem becomes, that's idolatry. And so... Um, it's a complex thing, this, this joy that we're commanded to do and that we are privileged and, uh, to experience. Uh, but the, the watch out um, that we don't you know, place that as the ruling thing in our life. Um, I want kind of to think a little bit more now about um, how, we, how we experience joy in the gospel um, and sometimes the road to experiencing that joy is to kind of re-experience joylessness and to re- remember where we've came from. Um, so I'm going to get a little bit dark for a few minutes, um, and I think you'll kind of see why as we go, some, some things I'll talk about. Because um, I think it's important for people like most of us who are here, I know, to sit and think about darkness and condemnation um, and how sinful we are, how sinful we have been, and how much we deserve to be punished for our sins. Um, like you can't really have joy for salvation if you don't have some sense of the weight of your sin and condemnation of the law over you, how, how um, serious that was. So I want to um, share something with you guys that is a, is a pretty sensitive topic for me personally. Um, and part of it's like, I'm kind of hesitant to even share it um, because um, it's, it's hard for me to know how to interact with this issue that I have, but also a little bit tough for me to, when I do share it with other people, to, their response is kind of also weird for me to interact with. Um, and, it's, and some of you guys already know this, but I have like some pretty strong claustrophobia. Um, it's, it's, a, it's quite a bit of a... An issue, and it's not really gotten better um, over the last few years. Um, so it's—I uh, have no idea why I struggle with that. Um, and uh, I don't, you know, it's like you think of like something in your childhood or whatever. Like, there's nothing. Um, but this isn't a like a counseling session for me to like get advice from you guys or anything. But, uh, but I, yeah, so basically, I'm just saying like this is something I've struggled with, um, and the. 
only reason I know of that I probably do struggle with this is because of the curse. Um, our bodies are fallen. Someday we'll be redeemed. There's things about us that we're going to struggle with and we don't always have an answer for besides we live in a fallen world. Um, anyways, um, I'm looking forward to the new heaven and earth where that's gone. Um, and um, we have new bodies, new eyes, new feelings, new joys. Um, on that, kind of moving, this isn't just a time for me to air all that, but there's this vision test. So you guys know I'm an eye doctor. There's a vision test um, that I want to share with you about. Um, and this test is called dark adaptation. So you walk into this dark room. It's a small room. Um, and it's total black. So you go in there, and then you look into this thing, and there's a little tiny red light. I mean, like a blip. It's probably, if you have a, yeah, there you go. It's about like that. But imagine total immersion in a small room. So not good scenario for me. I kind of walk into it like I'm going to, there's a new technology. We're kind of trying this out as a company. I'm going to try this out and experience the test and see how it's like so I can relate to my patients who go through it. Um, and you sit there literally for anywhere from five to 20 minutes, depending on how you click. Like every time you see a red flash, you're supposed to click the clicker. So sometimes it's total blackness and sometimes you see a red dot and you click every time. And I bailed out within five minutes. I, there's a lady in there and <laughs> so I told her, uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, I, I can't. And sweat was coming up. It was, it was just a mess. Um, and so it, two things about this. In closed room, and I, I, could, I couldn't hang with it, the red, red dot. So there you go. That, this weird scenario that I didn't really probably, I don't think I've really told anybody about. Um, but there's this other thing that was kind of haunting me the whole time I was doing this test. And it was this weird feeling of like, this is a lot like what life is without salvation. Total blackness and a red spot in the future. Like think about the gloom of a Christless world, a Christless life. Uh, if he never came, there's no hope. The only hope you have is that red that you're going towards and it's a hope of gloom and destruction. Um, and so I had this sort of like metaphor of hell for me, like with this vision test. So uh, I, but you get the picture. You get that picture. And I told you guys this would get a little bit dark on this part, but this, this is really what we deserve because of our sin. I think a lot of times we stray away from preaching about hell because um, that's been done so much of like, don't go this route. Don't you want Jesus? You know, happy, good things. But, but in reality, like we truly, because of our sin, deserved eternal punishment. And we need to remember that. And um, that this is the direction where we were heading before the advent of Christ into our personal life, into our own soul, whenever that was for you. So he came then, back then. He came into your life at some point and continues to keep coming and coming and rescuing you from the gloom, the doom that would await. Um, so this is part of, part of why the Bible is so repetitive with messages, even with this message, even to believers about warnings of judgment and the curse of sin and eternal condemnation. A lot of us were saved young, and so a lot of that we've we've it's been a while, you know. And and um, like to go over this is not because we're going that direction, right? 
and also the warning, uh, but, but, but it's because good to trying to remember what we've been rescued from and, and uh, warning to not veer off the path. And um, so there's passages like when John the Baptist said about Jesus, is what he said. He said, in Luke 3, he said, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. It's Luke 3. So remember, this is what we've been rescued from, this Christless eternity. Um, and remember all of the joy-killing things in your life, all of the things that have killed, killed joy are also pushing you to gloom and punishment and thoughts on that. And um, sometimes I tell people, when I'm trying to tell the gospel to them at, in clinic or wherever it's at, that there's two problems that you have to deal with in your life. Uh, one is sin, your sin, other people's sin, the effects of sin, disease, death, frustration, all, all of the, you know, you know, everything that's related to sin. But then also number two is death. So your sin and eventually we're all going to die and after that comes the judgment, right? And remember also that God would still be love, loving, still be merciful, still just, still fair, still kind, and all the, the good things that he is if he never sent a savior, he, he still would be. And just look at the angels here in our passage, right? These angels showed up and they're excited about this salvation that God was bringing to the angels, right? The, the angels that fell? No. Like, and, that's, and that's a hard thing to wrap your head around. They're rejoicing over the salvation that God has brought to us men. Um, so thinking about what the angels received, um, their fellow angels who sinned, they were cast into hell and there was no grace for any of them. These angels just show up to celebrate human salvation, not angel salvation. And so this is where we need to get, not, not be bored with the Christmas story, the advent of Christ in our own heart, in our own life. Um, because this grace, it's undeserved grace. Like grace means unmerited favor, right? Um, so enjoying Jesus and all the stories about him and his birth and all of the love that he has for you. And look what the angel said to the shepherd. He said, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The people back then had a longing, a hope that had really kind of almost been snuffed out for the 400 years of just dead silence. Um, Old Testament ended, 400 years, New Testament, and then Jesus shows up and they have excitement. They have this joy that like doom and gloom and they're like confusion and then suddenly Christ has arrived. So maybe if I could ask you to sit and think a little bit about your excitement level, pray about that. Um, and sometimes I give myself a pass when I'm desensitized and joyless because I think that because I've heard something so many times or because I'm exposed to it so much, then it doesn't give me joy and like that's okay or something. Um, and maybe like in clinic, I'll see 20 patients and five of them have like these difficult scenarios in their life where they're like, you came to me for an eye exam and instead you're, you're dumping on me that your wife just died. Like, I don't, I don't know how to process that. And so Sometimes I feel like I almost get desensitized in clinic, like after five, like that you know, people do that, like I'm, you know, I'm kind of spent. And listen up, Jesus, if anything, 
grows and grew more compassionate with exposure to people's cries for help and mercy. Like he, the more you bring to Christ, the more compassion he, he has for you. Um, not that he was ever lacking, but we ought not to grow dull in these things. Um, we should let the Advent season prick our dullness or our apathy and then ask God to grant you some enjoyment in him whatever kind he wants you to have, whatever the joy is that he has for you. It may look different for each of us. Maybe it's a weeping in your, in your studies in your room early or late. Maybe you're raising your hands with joy in the song after the sermon. I mean, God forbid one of us raises our hands when we, when we sing here, right? <laughs> it's Baptist church. We can do that. Uh, maybe that joy would be dancing in the aisle. We've got little ones that do that a lot. Maybe sitting by the fire with a good book and just having that lasting contentment that you have eternal peace no matter the shifting events. Maybe your joy is so depressed because of this certain sins in your life that you can't really seem to stop messing with. It's kind of, you keep falling into. Um, and, and I'd say, what a grace that God would make you miserable until you come out of it, um, until you confess and walk in repentance. Um, so you can do that today for the first time or for the thousandth time. The joy door is open. Um, God's waiting for that. But some of y'all um, are sitting in a spot today where enjoyment of God maybe feels as real as heaven. You know it's there, but you can't see it. You can't feel it. And maybe your depression isn't even tied to specific sins, but you just ache and have no sense of joy in your heart. You know you've been forgiven of your sins, but you're in a season of disconnect. Like, I know the right stuff, but I don't feel like I sh think I should feel. Um, like you have had COVID and you can't taste your favorite food now. It's bland, but you still want to taste it. You just can't. God is bland. The Bible is bland. Your family, your Bland, you're irritated and tolerating them. Church, bland. The podcasts you used to hit don't hit anymore. The sermons you used to hit hard, just not really, not really feeling that. Um, and so this is where I would just say, if you kind of resonate with that, maybe that's the Holy Spirit. Um, remember that waiting God is, is somewhat of a spiritual discipline. Um, spending some time and waiting on him. It's probably not in your spiritual disciplines book by Don Whitney or whoever it is, but waiting on God is a discipline that we have. Um, and remember the verse we popped up earlier, weeping may last in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30 verse five. Also, um, I would just say this too, if that's where you're at, is that there's a lot of good counseling that you may want to check on with Sankey or others in the church. Um, to help you through some of these unexplainable times of joy, joylessness. So just remember to wait and to ask for help. Um, you're not alone in that stuff. And, and also just a quick look at church history um, will show that there's, there's a lot of other like powerhouse believers over the years that have been through such spiritual depression. Think of like Spurgeon talks about that a lot. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, there's so many people out there that you could pick up and read about. Jesus was a man of sorrows. Um, he, didn't, he didn't go through this type of thing, but um, he, he, he um, 
can help you in this. Also, uh, don't forget this. Um, some of y'all, and I mean literally some of you here, um, have been faithful through some horrible stuff and your, your deep trust and joy in God through those circumstances is um, encouraging to others in our church. Um, there's stuff that we watch you go through and um, that, that helps us to get through things. Um, a little bit about, I'm going to shift a little bit about um, John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist's mom, actually, Luke 1, Elizabeth, right? Um, Jesus' cousin. So she was uh, unable to get pregnant, right? Um, that woman was faithful. Um, she was in it for the long haul, baby or not. So she was years and years and years of not being able to have a baby, and she wanted one so bad. Um, she was carried on by a joyful service to God. And God answered her prayer and gave her a baby uh, when she was way too old. So that physically impossible thing, um, having a baby in, you know, I think sixth, seventh, eighth decade, God, God gave it to her. And just imagine how she must have felt when Elizabeth, um, how, how, how this must have been when Elizabeth and Mary got together and they're both pregnant. You've got Elizabeth pregnant with John the Baptist and Mary pregnant with Jesus. And I mean, both supernatural pregnancies. I mean, it's already, you know, all the things that women, when they get together and they're all pregnant, there's a lot of excitement in the air and they're saying things that all us guys can't really understand. Um, but there's, there's something special about that with, with you know, us. Um, and imagine, like, you've got Son of God and then over here you've got the prophet John the Baptist who was prophesied about. Um, so, so much excitement there already, but um, it's a pretty crazy situation. So consider this, um, nearness and space to Jesus, like, like these women were actually near to him in time and space. Um, can you imagine like how much of a dream state that must have felt like, like just, just being near him? Um, so, you know, thinking about us arranging our life in whatever way we can to, to try to be near him. Um, it's a good thing. So we ought to do that. It, it looks different for us than it did for them, obviously. But uh, Jesus said to Thomas, when he you know, felt of his um, side and after he had resurrected, blessed are those who don't see but still believe. And he wasn't meaning just head knowledge, right? Hebrews eleven six says, true faith not only has the knowledge part, but the other half of the coin is that faithful people know that God is here to reward them. So like, you know, you believe he's real, you believe, but also you, you believe that he's for you. He's, he's here to reward you. Um, he's on your side. He's got your back. So how, how can I do that more? How can you do that more? How can we know him more, trust him more? And then to approach our life as pursuing of more joy and, and um, tearing into life, looking for joy. Um, and catch this too about pregnant Mary. Um, how much pain did Jesus cause Mary? Um, have you thought about this? Mary had to travel 70 miles on a donkey uh, while she was eight to nine months pregnant. Would that be women? Was that good? I mean, how, how's that? <laughs> uh, eight to nine months pregnant. I remember like really getting on to, like when we lived in Louisville and Courtney was 
pregnant with Owen and we worked at the same company. I was doing eye stuff and she was like doing computer stuff and having to like the, her boss was having her do charting. Like, so you had to take a chart and put it here and put one down here. And then some of them were like up real high. And so she's eight months pregnant. And finally I just went over. I was like, man, like she can't keep doing that. Like she can barely walk. And so um, just charting. And then this is, you know, donkey ride, camel ride, whatever it is for eight to uh, 70 miles, um, eight to nine months pregnant. So rough, rough thing Jesus made her go through there. Um, All because this was what God um, ordained to take place in, in the prophecies. Like he said that it would happen in Beth, Bethlehem. So for God's word to hold true, he had to make that happen in, in time, right? So he did. And also remember like how did, what, what made them go to Bethlehem? It was taxes, right? So nobody likes to pay taxes. We hate that. And I'm not saying you should enjoy it, but there's so much that we don't see in these things that are painful or difficult or whatever. And then God brings out at the advent of Christ through the tax, which required them to go to Bethlehem and register and pay their taxes. And then also um, uh, that's where Jesus was born. So pretty amazing the way God works out his own birth uh, into this world via taxes, just that providence. Um, and just think about the providence over your life that what has you know, brought Christ into your heart um, how many things, how I many small and big things. So on that and more on the pain that Mary went through in that horrible mess of pregnancy and giving birth, um, like just thinking about being near to Jesus is great joy, but at the same time, it, it, it does look different for each of us, but it, in, a, in a lot of ways it does make our life worse and more painful. And this is where like it's, it's, it's that joy that can can weather those storms. Um, there, there's things that being near to Jesus does co- where it causes our, our life to be more painful. Um, and this is where the joy and the pain part, that, that part, um, that's the part maybe I think that we should stew on the most. Um, can you ima- imagine this? Mary, you know, birth pains are happening. Like Jesus being God, you know, in one part of his life, a woman comes up and touches him because she's been bleeding for however long, touches him, and the power comes out of him, and he heals her. It's almost like, he's like, who touched me? You know, and so it's almost like in some of his ministry, that's how it was. But there's nothing here that says that Jesus coming through the birth canal had supernatural epidural power there. Like, it hurt. It was a real um, uh, birthing pain, horrendous pain, um, brought on by Jesus coming in, into this into this uh, life of, of Mary. And so... Think about the pains you go through and remember um, the joy that you're enduring the pain for. Um, and, and it's, you know, this is the cursed pain that comes at childbirth and these other pains that we, that we have to deal with in this life, but we're enduring for God's glory and, and, and uh, awaiting for him to show us that joy um, that will come. And look at this. This, this fits perfectly with this, this um, passage. John 16, 20 through 24. Um, it may be up there, maybe not. Um, but it says, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the, joy, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. 
When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And then hear this part. And your hearts will rejoice. And then hear, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, and here's this, that your joy may be full. So, you know, dwell on this. Um, and as, as we kind of finish up today, just continue to, you know, push to try to find more joy in your life, asking God to, to, to help you with that. Be okay with the enjoyment of fleeting pleasures, um, but not, not let them become ruling things. Um, try to identify with Paul, who is sorrowful yet always rejoicing, right? Um, and, and just also remembering the absence of joy and what that Christless um, life would be. But the reality is that Jesus has come um, to be your friend and to be with you. Um, and promises in that last verse, like we just read, that he will make our joy full. Um, and uh, so, yeah, um, as, uh, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll move on to the next song or maybe communion um, after that. But let's pray. So, Father, I just um, come to you once again. God, we, we praise your name um, for loving us and setting us free from sin. And God, we just, um, I just pray again uh, for everyone here that, that you would make our joy full. Uh, and we, we thank you for all you are to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.